Welcome to Diner Talks with James. Slide into the booth and let's have conversations we never want to end with friends we never want to leave over food we probably shouldn't be eating. My friends, welcome to another episode of Diner Talks with James. I'm James, and I'm super pumped to be here with you all. Thanks so much for tuning in. Y'all, if you could do me a favor, I haven't, I try not to be like every other podcast and ask for this too much, but if you've been listening for a minute now, if you would be willing to tell somebody else about this show, that would really make my heart happy, y'all. It would make me happier. Or if you're able to go on to uh, to iTunes or something like that or wherever you listen to it, there's a way for you to rate this podcast, that'd be really awesome as well. Uh, it would just it would just mean a lot. Like I said, you know, I, I don't I try not to ask every time. Uh, so, uh, but yeah, just we just wanted a, a mention that that'd be a cool way to help this show grow. And that's what we're trying to do out here because I think it's pretty fun. But enough of that, y'all. Let's jump back into the business. I'm terrible at marketing myself. That felt awkward. It's fine. We're all fine. I'm really pumped for this because I got a new man. I've never met this man before, but he came uh, He came recommended to me from another one of my podcast guests, Stu Massengill, uh, who you've heard his episode. I think it just dropped. And so, uh, but yeah, but this man's name is Jake Kelfer. Jake Kelver is a motivational speaker who speaks out on leadership, authenticity, and other various topics. His goal is to elevate everyone's life and make each journey filled with more success, happiness, and ultimately, more fun. (laughs) Here for that. He recently just dropped a book called The Elevated Entrepreneur. He also has this whole badass business where he is helping coaching, excuse me, coaching entrepreneurs uh, to write and launch books. It's really awesome the work that he is doing to help the entrepreneurial community. He also randomly worked for the Los Angeles Lakers, casual, but he left there to start his own business. He's a world traveler, a USC graduate, Taco Bell connoisseur, you already know we're going to talk about that, avid book reader, and a pickup basketball fanatic. So needless to say, Jake Kelfer's got next, y'all. Let's bring him out right now. My man. Let's go, baby. You know, I love, I love the intro. You're like, I'm James. I'm going to hit you right back. I'm Jake. Let's go. <laughs> What's up, my guy? How you doing today? Dude, I'm, I'm good. I'm good, man. Everything's going well on my end, and I'm excited to chat. I love it, brother. I love it. So, uh, so Jake, here's how we start these off. You know, this show, this show is called Diner Talks with James because I believe the best conversations we have in our lives occur late at night with the friends we never want to leave over the food we shouldn't be eating. And so I'm wondering for you, brother, what is your late night guilty pleasure in the food realm? Yeah, I mean, I think you teed this up perfectly in the introduction, but my, my guilty pleasure is at Taco Bell. You know, back in the day when I was in college, I, I lived, I went to USC and I lived a block away from a Taco Bell. Mm-hmm. And I'm not going to lie. I was there two to three times a week, man. <laughs> I knew the manager. I knew the people, the cashiers. I had access. If I wanted to walk the drive through late at night, they'd take care of me. Like, <laughs> we had a, oh, man. So Taco Bell will forever be my, my go-to, even though now I don't eat dairy or gluten. So it's like, it's the craziest thing ever, but I'm team Taco Bell. Team Taco Bell. I love it. Yeah, well, I mean, after you pay the tuition at USC, the only thing you can afford is Taco Bell. So that makes sense. (laughs) Worth it. (laughs) Worth it. What is your Taco Bell? Or maybe you can say what was your Taco Bell order if you want, or if you you still have one, that's great. Yeah, so the order has definitely evolved over time, and I'm not going to bore you with the details of the new one, but I will (laughs) tell you the order that people used to pay for my meal to advise them on, okay? Mm. And it it was the Cheesy Gordita Crunch. You see, nice. everybody's about the Crutch Wrap Supreme, and yes, that's the number one item, and I get it, but it's the Cheesy Gordita Crunch, and actually, before they had the Doritos Locos Taco, we would ask if they could season the taco shell with some type of seasoning, almost creating our own Doritos Loco shell on the inside of the Cheesy Gordita Crunch, but that was, uh, that was my go-to item, and uh, you know, even one day, we had it for breakfast, lunch, and dinner, because we wanted to see if we could eat Taco Bell for every meal. <laughs> first off brother the cheesy gordini crunch is the move that that is my favorite menu item yeah. uh, at taco bell that or the cheesy roll-up because just give me a flour tortilla with cheese in it um <laughs> but yeah no i uh I, I completely agree now this is a pro move going in there it's not mcdonald's it's not necessarily a have it your way kind of spot 
But you said, hey, listen, can you pepper it up a little bit? I respect that. Yeah, you know, sometimes you got to take a chance. If you don't ask, you never know. You know what I mean? <laughs> and I just wanted to show Taco Bell that I was committed. You know, I yeah. almost, I literally almost drove down to the headquarters because I'm based in Santa Monica and I was at USC in LA and their headquarters are in Irvine. And I was about to drive all the way down to Irvine to see if I could make some recommendations and tell them the story of their greatest fan and see if I could get in their social media campaigns or whatever, uh -huh. you know, like I was committed to the cause. You're really, yeah, definitely. Sure. Uh, <laughs> that is a, a passion that I can respect. Yeah, you sure. know, I mean, no job came from it, but you better believe that I watch their marketing teams. I mm -hmm. see all of what they're doing. I mean, they did a great job. They incorporate the college market, you know, where yep. we know a lot of people in that space. And it's just uh, they do a great job. This is it, man. That, and that's what that's that's loyalty. Right. I mean, that's uh, that, that the loyalty that's uh, you're not necessarily benefiting from it unless it's, you know, obviously you're getting a delicious product. But yeah, but it's like I'm invested in all this. Right. I mean, I do that a lot with Delta Airlines where I'm up on I'm watching all their stuff. I'm reading Ed Bastian's newsletter. It's like that's one of the one of the companies that I've gone all in on. Um, and uh, I mean, obviously, I also risk my life with them every time I go up in the air a hundred something times a year. Um, so I should be invested in them but still it is uh yeah it's it's fascinating the company loyal loyalty well, yeah i mean I'm, I'm team delta as well i think they take great care of their people and uh, you know i've had a great time with them and i'm alive still so you know what that's, that's always a blessing <laughs> one more thing i gotta throw in here on the, on the loyalty to taco bell though is as much as i'll be loyal to taco bell the one of the most underrated fast food items is the double del cheeseburger from del taco hold up the double yep. Del cheeseburger yep. from Del Taco? Yep. I don't even know if I knew Del Taco had cheeseburgers. Most people don't. And then the second reaction is, you're getting a cheeseburger at Del Taco? Yeah. And I say yes. And I'm telling everyone, I'm telling you, I'm telling everyone who's listening to this, get yourself a double Del cheeseburger. It is done well, and it's probably a top five fast food burger. No jokes. Wow. Yeah. I mean, a top five fast food burger, that would probably, I think there are only five fast food burgers. So, I mean, that's good that they made the list. <laughs> Let me put it to you this way. If I could get any fast food burger that's not In-N-Out, okay? Like, as an L.A. guy, it's In-N-Out, like, it's a different category for yeah. me, okay? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, but Del Taco's Double Del is probably the best burger on the market out, outside of that. Wow. It's up there. It's okay. up there. That's a bold statement. Now it I'm is. an East Coast boy, Jake. I'm an East Coast boy, so I'm I'm Shake Shack over in and out. Uh, but don't get me wrong, I like an in and out experience. I'm just saying, if I if they were next to me, I'm grabbing Shake Shacks first. Yeah, I mean, I think that's like ingrained kind of in you and in me. We kind of <laughs> are forced to like our team better, right? Like you're yeah. a Yankees guy, it looks like. I'm a Dodgers I'm guy. <laughs> yeah, I I could support the Yankees here and there, but mm -hmm. overall, I'm Team Dodgers, and nothing's gonna ever change that, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, our generation, the beef between the Yankees and the Dodgers hits a little different. It's not it's not as big as like our our fathers or the grandfathers where, you know, is uh hatred for the for each other. Yeah, like, <laughs> don't, don't even look at me. Yeah, yeah. I love it, man. So you're born and raised in Cali. Yep, yep. Where, I'm where about? So I grew up I grew up in a town called Santa Clarita, which is by Magic Mountain, Six Flags. Okay. And so anytime anyone's like, well, where are you from? When I was in college, anytime, where are you from? Well, I'm from by Six Flags. And they're like, oh, I know exactly where that is, but no one would ever yeah. know the city. And um, yeah, went to college at USC. And then from there, lived in Santa Monica and around these parts for most of my time. I did a nine-month tour around the country to grow my businesses. But besides that, I've been in uh, Southern California my whole life. Yeah. That's awesome, man. That's awesome. I got to speak in the USC, one of the most beautiful college campuses around. I got to speak in the gym there to incoming freshmen. Uh, it was a highlight, highlight of the speaking career for sure. It was a really just a cool moment to be in that gym uh, doing that work. <clears throat> um, so, yeah. Yeah. But, I, I mean, when I, whenever I speak in a gym, like I'm a basketball nut, man. Like yeah. well, anytime I get into an arena, whether it's a high school gym or whether it's, you know, a college arena and I get to speak like where the court would be it just feels different, you know, like it hits different because I'm like, I'm doing my warm up song in the back. I'm just getting, <laughs> up. I'm like, let's go. I got Eminem lose yourself playing. I'm like, let's get hyped right now. And then you just come out there. So like, I totally, uh, totally relate to how that could be an unbelievable experience. I love that. I love that. Eating mom spaghetti out here, Eminem. Um, <laughs> the, uh, <laughs> 
But I think we can also admit, though, as speakers, is that there's also no worse place to speak than a gym because the echo is atrocious. Uh, and so, yeah, so there, there's a little bit of that give and take. It's, a, it's amazing to have that magnitude of look at where I'm speaking, but then you start talking and you hear your voice bounce off four walls. And you're like, okay, this is cool. I think I'm going insane. Yeah, yeah it, it sounds great in theory, right? Yeah. You know, but yeah, yeah. Hey, we do what we got to do. We overcome Amen. the big adversity, you know. Yeah, oh, yeah. We'll take it compared to some of the other things that have happened Gosh. in our speaking world. We're so strong, Jake. We're so strong to overcome these things, these obstacles. Uh, I love this, man. So born and raised, born and raised in SoCal. And I'm wondering, you know, what did young Jake want to do? You know, I know you're a, from your website. I can tell you're a diehard Lakers fan, obviously a basketball fanatic. So, you know, you're, you're someone who clearly maybe grew up playing sports and whatnot. Is, you know, was sports what you wanted to do when you were younger? Or what was the dream? Oh, the dream was to be the next Magic Johnson. I mean, straight up, you know, but we, we had a room in my parents' house grew up because my, my dad's one of the biggest Laker fans of all time. It's a room, we call it the Laker room. And it's painted purple and gold. The couch cushions are purple and gold. <laughs> Every Sports Illustrated that's ever had a Laker on the cover since the 60s is hanging up in that room. Like, wow. it is it is the real deal. Like, we even grew up with a cardboard cutout of Kobe Bryant, a Shaq costume mask. I mean, you name it, we've had everything in there. And... So my dream growing up was to be the next Magic Johnson. Mm -hmm. The only problem with that was as a 5'8 Jewish kid from the suburbs, <laughs> the, the dream of getting to the NBA got cut a little bit short when I finished high school. So from then into high school, the dream was to be the first player from my hometown to make it to the NBA and just live that, live that dream. But, you know, life had other plans, which I'm blessed that it worked out okay, but it was definitely a, a hit to the gut when I knew that that dream was coming to an end. Oh man, what 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 age did you realize this this maybe this isn't happening? I mean, I think it was pretty early on, but what I always talk about is like I was never going to allow like the fact that that maybe that dream's not going to come to fruition, but I wasn't going to allow that to stop me from trying to be the best that I could possibly be. And so as a shorter kid, I was always the smallest guy on the court. I was always one of the youngest guys. I just did whatever I could to get on the court. And when I was a sophomore, people were like, there's no way you're going to make the varsity team. You know, I'm 5'4", a buck 20, and I'm competing against a pretty good talent. I mean, we competed against future NBA guys and different things like that. And, and I'm sitting there, and I'm like in the summer league trying to make the, the 15th spot on the bench, and I'm waving towels. I'm getting water. Like, I'm doing whatever I can because I was like, I got to make this team. Yeah. I will literally sit on the floor so that one of the starters can have a seat. I'll do whatever it takes to be a good teammate. But I knew that, like, in high school, I wasn't going to make, you know, the league. And I just made sure that I had the most fun. And I think when, mm -hmm. once I realized that, like, I made the game as much fun as possible. Get the crowd mm -hmm. pumped up, you know, make sure to take care of the <clears> fans, <throat> make sure to have the best handshake in the warm-up lines. Oh, sure, right? yeah. And so, I, so, but yeah, I knew pretty early on. It's pretty, there's power to be in the heart of the team. Right, uh, that that uh, that moral team captain. Uh, so yeah, I could I, I totally I totally respect the route that you took. <laughs> yeah, and look, don't get me wrong. Like that was sophomore year. By the time junior and senior comes, you know, I'm a I'm a starter. I'm I'm all league. Like we're having we're having a great time. We're winning a lot of games. So like mm -hmm. the the transformation continued to rise. But it was cool to start off as that moral moral guy. You know, yeah. just the guy that that boosts the team. That just has a little bit of fun, you know, when everyone else is so focused on playing time, I'm focused on like, let's make sure that the chemistry is good. Let's make sure we got, we got team dinners planned this week because your boy needs to eat, you know, yeah. I ain't playing, like I can eat whatever. Like, yeah, yeah. Jake, during a, a time of most people's lives that they can't get out of their own way in middle school and high school, that's when we, that's when all the stories we tell ourselves start to get really repeated and ingrained uh, and, and whatnot. So it's, it's often a very selfish, insular time because we're just in our heads, right? We're trying to figure it out. We're trying to figure out how to fit in. We're trying to figure out what the hell we're supposed to do with our life. They tell us that we're supposed to go to college and then have our dreams and then retire. And we're supposed to, right? Like there's all this pressure that is put on us at that time. Um, I'm wondering where did you or how did you develop that that mindset of like, yo, I'm just going to go out here and be the best I can be for everybody around me. I'm going to do what I got to do to be a great teammate. Was that something that was instilled in you? Was that something that like, you know, where, where did that come from? I think it's a two parter. Like, and this is such a good question, James, because like we are in our own head at that age. And, you know, 
sometimes it, it that voice inside of our head talks to us way more than we want it to. Mm-hmm. And sometimes we listen to the negative or sometimes we listen to the positive. And for me, it was personally, I've always been just intrinsically, I've had this intrinsic desire to want to be great. And so nothing anyone else says is going to get in my way because they're not the one that gets to determine if I'm great or not. I get to determine if I'm willing to do it. And I've just always had this desire to want to be great. And so that's one. But then the other thing that I think is the bigger influence is I'm blessed to have two parents that supported me throughout my entire life. And they continue to support me in in so many ways and and love me. And and I think the biggest thing was realizing that they never put pressure on me to get an A. They put a lot of pressure on me to give my best effort. And knowing that if I tried something and I didn't succeed, that they would still be there, that they would still love me, like that gives a kid all all of the confidence in the world to try something. Knowing that the people that are most important to you and you want their approval the most, knowing that no matter what I try, they encourage me to make mistakes. They're like, try it once. And if you don't like it, you don't have to do it again. But don't you dare give up on me in this. Don't you dare give up until you've given your best effort. And that has just been a huge thing for me. And so I think like a lot of that comes from from my parents. And I'm very blessed to have been able to have parents that that raised me like that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, what a... uh... Uh, what a privilege! That's that's beautiful. That's beautiful. I also my my parents were very similar uh, in in the way you describe that for sure. <clears throat> and so, uh, yeah, I uh, it is such a fascinating time in our lives. Uh, and and for one thing I know is that you know if you were out on the court five 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 eight maybe uh, like you said, I mean what I know is that if you became that successful, you also had either either or wheels, you had handles, you had, you know, maybe, maybe you're just crisp from behind the arc, right? Or maybe just a general sports sense where you like, you knew where you were a great anticipator of the game. Um, so, uh, I mean, yeah, you, you took the skills that you had and the body you were given and you made the most of it. Absolutely. I mean, I, I like to model my game. So obviously I love Magic Johnson, but as a six, nine dude, he, he played a little different game than me. Yeah. I like to model my game though, after Steve Nash. Steve Nash was the guy that I would model it because me and my dad would watch games and we'd watch Steve and, and he would be dribbling and he'd continue to dribble and you'd be like, where's this dude going? And then he'd end up like right at the bucket, giving Amari Sotomayor a lob. And I'm just like, wow, like this dude's a point guard. And I was a pass first type of guy. Like, give me the assist over the bucket any day of the week. Mm -hmm. Let's let the boys play. And I just love seeing the court. I love defense. Like I just loved all the things that not everyone can see on the stat sheet. But I was like, I'm just going to be the, the guy that does it. I love the passing. I love like my favorite play is on a fast break. And I hit like a cross court pass, no looker and just start running the other way. Kind of like mm-hmm. how Steph shoots his threes now where he shoots them and then he just starts running. Yep. That's what I, my favorite play in the game is to do that, man. It's, <laughs> it's so cool. <laughs> oh, that's awesome, man. <clears throat> Your Lakers got a hell of a squad this year. Team veterans. Team uh, veterans as, yeah. as a as a uh, as a New York Knicks fan, I always love to see Carmelo Anthony still doing his thing out there, no matter where he's playing. Well, you got to be pretty hyped right now with your Knicks. I mean, they look pretty good to start the year. For the first time and who knows how long we'll take it. Or last year and this year. Yeah, I'm great. great. Glad to have the Knickerbockers back. Yeah, uh, I mean, sure. I saw this video the other day where it was like they were in front of Madison Square Garden. They were interviewing some of the fans. And the, the Knicks fans were just the rowdiest people. You know, they just put a mic in front of them. And God knows what they were saying. But it was like, the Knicks are back, baby. Yeah. And, like, the the energy was just electric. And I could only imagine what it would be like to be at a game right now or to be in the city. Like, if they mm-hmm. keep this up and, like, make it for a full season without injuries and Julius Randle stays well, like, that could be something special. Could be something special, yeah. My garden is just a special place to see a game, for sure. I have memories growing up. I, the, uh, my dad once randomly got first row tickets to a game, and uh, Charles Oakley fell on my lap, and that was a, a dream moment for me. It was also painful, but it was a dream moment. Um, yeah, I was about to say, did they give you some ice on the side? He gave me a little knee pat, and that was a bad hit. I was like, I'll take it. I'll take it, Oak. Um, <laughs> but, yeah. <laughs> so, I love it. So, the – this mentality of what what a cool mentality to have as, as now with the coaching that you do of like I'm out here trying to get assists right and I know it's it's an interesting some would say juxtaposition over I'm, I'm destined to be great but I also want I want to get to great by giving assists um, right it's a, it's a fascinating give and take but I think it speaks a lot to the work that we do as speakers because ultimately 
we got into the work because we were really excited to make the impact, right? To make people think, to make people grow, in your case, to make people elevate, right? And so, uh, but at the same time, there's also got to be that piece of like, feels kind of nice that y'all are looking at me right now, um, right? Like this feels pretty, yep, yeah, you laughed at that joke. You're damn right that was a good joke, um, right? Or yeah, I got you quiet during that story. you damn right it was a good story. Um, and so it's cool to watch how that mentality of yours of like, I'm out here trying to get the assist, doing what I got to do to help the team out has kind of carried on. Have you noticed that about yourself as well? I mean, I don't think anyone's ever said it as beautifully as you just did. So like, I just want to give you some kudos on that. <laughs> you know what I mean? But, but I think it's entirely true. You know, like I love being in the arena and whether it's playing basketball or with a group of students or with a business in, in their, you know, in their office. But I, I think like that mindset has been huge. But at the end of the day, I know that for me, the, the best times in my life are with the people that I care most about and with my new friends that I make. Yeah. So if I'm only focused on getting to being the great, the greatest I can be, but there's no one to share that with me, then I'm really not that great. So I'd much rather have everybody fill the, fill the scoreboard, fill the stat sheet up. And we can all just celebrate, all enjoy the ride. And that may look like, as a speaker, my, the students that I speak to, getting their dream job or living their definition of success or having a deeper conversation, you know, like opening up and not being afraid to talk like we're about to talk about with all this deep stuff and real stuff, you know. Mm -hmm. And then like with other things, it's just about being raw and real and, and just communicating. And I've made my fair share of mistakes. I've made my turnovers in real life, you know, but you get back and you try again. And I figure if my if I can have more assists in life and turnovers, I'm gonna be all right. Yeah, yeah, that's a ratio, a, a great ratio to pay attention to. More assists than turnovers. I like that. Uh, let me write that one down. Actually, if I can have more assists than turnovers in my life, I'm gonna be all right. I'm gonna write that down. Um, <clears throat> so, so here's a question for you, brother. You go to you go to USC. You get a job at the Lakers right afterwards, according according to the website. What what did you study at USC, and what were you doing for the Lakers? Well, yeah. Then it's, the, then it's the next story that I really want to hear. But tell me that one real quick. Connect the dots. Well, so so I studied business administration, minor in sports media studies. The entire plan there was once the dream of being a Laker as a player fell apart, I was going to go to USC and be a sports agent. I was like, logically, that makes the most sense. And I had some friends that were really good that had potential, and I was like, you know what? I'll go to college. You play sports. I'll go study. And then I'll help you become rich and we'll both get rich in the process. That was kind of like the thought process there. Yeah. Yeah. I went to USC. I'm getting ready to graduate, you know, and all of a sudden the agency that's about to hire me goes on a hiring freeze and they say, Hey, we can't bring you on the team. Oh I'm no. Like, I'm like, are you kidding me? You know, like I'm getting ready to graduate thousands of dollars in student loan debt. And I'm like, is this for real? So luckily, I was the kid, though, that was always networking, involved in the organizations, doing the mock interviews, doing the resume workshops. And I was like, shit, like, well, now let's see if this, if this really plays out and see how it works in the real world. Second semester, I turned down every job offer that I receive, and I have an informational interview with someone who's working with the Lakers. That lady, she's a USC graduate. I'd never met her before. And she says at the end of it, unprompted hey, we're opening up our assistant positions for the corporate partnerships division for the upcoming season. Would you maybe have any interest? I was like, yeah, of course. Like, are you kidding me? I was like, too excited because I didn't want to seem like over eager. But like, yeah. I was like, this is the, are you kidding me? Like, I didn't even ask about this. Yeah. And the issue here though was, she was like, well, we wouldn't be able to interview until during the summer. And I was like, so I'm going to graduate USC, thousands of student loan debt, without a job in the hope that maybe this Lakers job will pan out. I said, hell yeah, I'm in. Because <laughs> like, I was like, why am I going to settle? Like I'm, I, my canvas is blank. Why am I going to put black ink on it first when I can paint it yellow and purple? You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And, and I, was, I knew that this was a huge gamble for me because it also meant, truthfully, I had to tell my friends I wasn't going to be able to live with them. So actually mm -hmm. I, I had to move home and I, I, I chose to move home because that was the opportunity. And I said, when am I ever going to get a chance to work for the Lakers again? Yeah. You know, I'm, I'm a diehard Lakers fan. Like that's, that's a potential dream come true. And guess what? If it sucks, I can leave. If it's awesome, I'll get to say I worked for the Lakers, right? Mm -hmm. Fast forward to the summer, I do the interview and I end up getting the job. So even though I wasn't the first pick of the draft, I was a top three pick in the corporate partnerships draft of the year. 2014. <laughs> 
And the season happened to be Kobe's final NBA season. Oh, yeah. So my job while I was with there was an assistant in corporate partnerships, which meant on game days, I was responsible for picking all the contestants for all the halftime contests, the three-point mm-hmm. shootout, the skills challenge, the meet and greets, the half-court shot. And that was just a legendary experience because there were so many brand deals that year because everybody wanted to cash in on Kobe's final game because the publicity was through the roof. So I got to just experience it at full effect, even though the team wasn't great, the sponsorships and the partnerships division was on fire. And that's how I started with the Lakers. That's awesome. That's awesome. Incredible. And you got to, that means you got to watch every one of those home games of Kobe in his last one. Every single one of them. Yeah. What a dream. What a, hopefully you're able to hook your dad up with a couple of tickets too every once in a while. Yeah. I mean, as, as assistants <laughs> on the bottom of the totem pole, we had last dibs, but yeah. we, we got, I got some tickets whenever I could, man. I passed those bad boys out. <laughs> I was trying to get people in that arena. Um, and I mean, the best, the best game though, of course, was his final game, you know, cause mm-hmm. I knew at that point too, that I was, I was getting ready to release my first book. So I, I knew that this was going to be the end of my experience with the Lakers. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that, you know, when you work in sports, you're not really supposed to celebrate too much because they, you don't want to seem like a fan when you're working. You're there to work a job, right? Mm-hmm. And so the whole season, you know, I'm keeping my composure. I'm still cheering and getting excited. It's like, it fires me up, you know, but at the same time, I always kept my composure. But I knew that this last game, like, what are they going to do, fire me? I was already leaving. So, yeah. so, so this last game, the Lakers are down by 10 in the fourth quarter. And I, I tell all the people, all the people that my coworkers, I'm like, guys, Kobe's about to Kobe one more time. Just watch. And they're like, no way, dude. This game's over. Let's go pack our bags. Like, let's get ready to wrap it up. I was like, no, this is his final game. I'm staying on the court this entire time because I was standing in the tunnel where the players came out. And Kobe starts to do his thing. And all of a sudden, there were no more rules for Jake. (laughs) I said, see you later. And I start going nuts. I'm waving my suit jacket around. Like, I'm (laughs) just so fired up. And he does that. And the Lakers win. And it was like, one of the greatest moments and celebrations that I that I could ever have experienced live. And so it just it just cooled it. It felt like I was a kid again, yet yeah. getting paid to be a kid. <laughs> That's the dream, right? Getting paid to be a kid. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh man, what an iconic moment. Uh what a just what a, mer- a memory that you will cherish forever. Um for for many reasons now, unfortunately. Um uh, but still it is uh Wow, what a, I love that you're just like, screw it, fire me. I'm going ham right now. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I mean, he didn't fall on my leg or anything, but yeah, uh, yeah. You know, we were close enough. That's all right. That's all right. You know, we all have our wins. Um, <laughs> so here's something cool about you, brother, is that you continue to bet on yourself, right? And you, you bet on yourself when you were younger, and you bet on yourself like, I'm going to figure out, I'm going to make the team, I'm going I'm to I'm give my seat up to a starter, I'm a, right? I'm, I'm, I'm going to, I'm not going to, I'm not going to apply for another job, I'm going to move home, I got to, you know, unfortunately let down some friends, but that's because that's how, that's how much I think I want this, and how much I think I can get it, and, and whatnot. That takes a lot of audacity. And audacity, some people think is a negative thing. And don't get me wrong, it can be. Uh, but still, um, there is a lot of, uh, it takes a lot of audacity to do. Have, have you noticed that about yourself? And I'm wondering, um, have there been any other places where it's come up? Oh, yeah, man, all the time. And and the truth is, is that the tenacious desire I have to, to bet on myself and, and to try to be great has definitely come at a cost in certain ways. You know, sometimes we, we look at traits and we're like, oh, I wish I had that trait that someone has. or I wish I had that trait. Right. Whether it's the same one or, or the opposite version of it. And like for me, like for the longest time is I wanted everyone to like, me. you know, as I'm doing all this, I'm like, I'm going to create my own path. But I want everyone to like me in the process. And you can't have it both ways sometimes. And it took me a long time to, to really just like be real and realize that I don't need everybody to like me on this path. I just need the right people to love me. Mm-hmm. And when that happens everything becomes worth it. And so on this journey, I've always said, I'm going to bet on myself. And if you want to come for the ride and come on the journey, we're going far. Let's go together. And if you don't, I hope you find someone else who you can experience the journey with, because I still want you to have that greatness in your life. And so when I started the pro basketball combine, people were like, you are crazy. 
because I was basically putting on a secondary NBA draft combine and people were like, this will never work. Like, what are you doing? We have more experience in the industry than you have years of life. And Mm -hmm. we've never seen this done. Why do you think you can do this? And like when people doubt me and maybe, maybe it's because I'm a little crazy and I get fired up, but I'm like, watch me, watch and see what we're about to do here. And if it, if it doesn't work, well, I tried. Cause I'd rather say, Oh, well, then what if? And so when we started this combine, man, I must've called a hundred agents, the fiercest negotiators, right? The Jerry Maguire's of the world. And 99 of them in the beginning were like, this idea sucks. We'll never send our players. There's no way it's going to work. You should ask for your money back. Like, get out while you can. Get away from me. Stop calling me. And I'm like, damn. Like, these people coming in hard, right? And, you know, eventually we ended up filling up our roster spot. We ended up becoming getting people that said we'll never send players there to begging us to let their guys in the next year and it just became this thing but that audacity that that desire that that just willingness to bet on myself has continued to pay off in everything that I do um, and will continue to pay off because I know that I, that that's where I want to be yeah uh, that's awesome man <clears throat> that's awesome and yeah and it's uh, the ability to trust to trust yourself, to trust your idea, to trust your tenacity in the face of fear is beautiful, right? I mean, at the end of the day, it, you know, it, it's kind of like a scale and, and and trust and tenacity, all those kind of things are on one side and fear is on the other. And a lot of times fear, fear wins, right? And and it, it truly does. And it takes over and, and that just is what it is. And so those other things kind of fall off as uh, that would have been cool, maybe probably wouldn't have worked. And we try to tell ourselves, and then we write the story. I'm like, hey, yeah, it wouldn't have worked. Yeah, no, yeah. No, for this reason, this reason. Yeah, I did the right thing not doing it. Good job not putting myself out there. Really saved my heart from some potential loss or whatever. Um, and so, uh, but for you to time and time again, allow trust or tenacity or those, those, those kind of things to to outweigh the fear is awesome. And and I actually don't know the story about the combine. Can you tell us a little bit about that really quick? I, I, yeah, I'm not, I'm not familiar yeah. with that story from oh, you. Yeah. And, and, and look, the fear, we all have the fear. It's not like there are people that are programmed and they just don't feel fear, right? Mm-hmm. Like like there's a show on, on, um, on Netflix called Lock and Key. And if you haven't seen it, it's a great little show. But in that, she literally takes fear out of her head and she locks it away. And now she becomes fearless. We as humans don't have that option to just take fear out and replace it. It's more so what do we do when we see the fear and how we face that fear head on. Mm-hmm. But so, so let's go, let's talk about the combine for a second. So, so I work for the Lakers. I leave the Lakers to write my own book and to start that business. I start speaking, but I still want to be an agent. But at this point I was, you know, a year and a half removed from, from college. I'd worked for the Lakers. I had just released my book. It had, it had become a bestseller. I started speaking. I was like, I don't want to be in the mailroom and give up everything. So I need to get creative here. You know, I need to get really creative on figuring out what the heck can I do that's not going to make me, you know, be in the mailroom and slave away on the minimum wage job because otherwise I just need to focus on this. And I was like, what can I do differently? And that's when I kind of realized that there was a whole new contract being introduced to the NBA called a two-way deal. Basically, if you don't follow basketball too much, there was 60 new roster spots for people to make more money than they had ever had than if they played in the minor league system or overseas. And I was like, well, where's the NBA going to get those players from? And I was like, what if we had a second combine that was basically like an audition for those spots amongst others when the NBA has their main combine for the draft picks? And that's how I said, you know what, let's do it. And guess what? The agents will be my customers. So now I'll really get to know them and maybe one of them will love the idea and say, oh, look at that initiative he took, whether it succeeds or fails. Like I want that type of kid as my up and coming agent. Mm -hmm. That's what I want. And so that was the initial idea of how we started that. But it goes back to this assist thing. I wanted to help players, not just to make money for myself as an agent, but I wanted to help players and give them real advice. Give them an opportunity to, to really not get peddled by agents with their own agendas, but to yeah. have a platform to get exposure so that their lives could be changed. Because the difference between a G League salary and this two-way deal was the difference between like 275K and 30K at the time. Mm. That's life-changing money for some of yeah. these people whose parents have given up everything. They've grown up poor. They've grown up in all these areas. That was an opportunity for me to say, I want to help. 
And it doesn't matter what the income is because I want to help and make a difference. And that was just an amazing experience in my life. And we were able to do some amazing things and help so many guys. We helped over 70 guys sign their first deal in three years. And it was just, it was so cool for me to be around the game and work with the teams, the agents, meet the players, go on the road and like watch a practice with Tom Izzo and, and all these legendary co college coaches. I just got to go to all the practices. And it was just the coolest thing for a basketball nut. Um, but in the meantime, I was, I was making a difference for these kids. And that was the coolest part of it all. Yeah. Passed out 70 assists that year. Uh, <laughs> those years. That's awesome. Uh, yeah. Wow, that's cool, brother. I, I didn't know that story about you. What a uh, very cool idea. And yeah, super creative. Uh, that, that's dope that that panned out. Uh, I love it. So what was that first book about? What was the first book that you wrote about? So the first book was called Elevate Beyond. And it was all about how to stand out in the job market and discover your passion. Okay. So the reason I wrote it about career development, like truthfully, is because one, I didn't really know how to write a book in the first place. Like, you know, like, I didn't go to college to write a book. I went to college to be an agent to, yeah. to do business. And the only thing I knew at the time, like I'm working for Lakers. I'm just out of college. I didn't know much about anything other than the fact, like, how do you get a good job? And how do you bet on yourself to get that good job? And what can you do in college to set yourself up for that job or in high school or recent grads? And that's all I knew. So that's what the book became about. And then I just interviewed a bunch of like actually successful people at the time who worked at like Apple, Morgan Stanley, professors, entrepreneurs, NFL athletes, and then used their credibility to boost mine up so that it wasn't just a 23-year-old writing career development book with one year of work experience. It was a 23-year-old with one year combined with the legendary advice from people that have achieved traditional societal success. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I love that. <laughs> I love that. Yeah, again, the audacity of a of a 23-year-old writing a career development book. <laughs> I felt that when I wrote, I mean, I wrote a book on leadership at 32, and I was like, what are you doing, bro? <laughs> what exactly is happening right now? Um, so, yeah, <clears throat> yeah, I, I totally get that. I was, I was scared when that book was about to come out, though, man. Like, you want to talk about fear? That had all the feelings when I was getting ready to release it because I'm like, who in the world is about to read this book? Yeah. Why? What if? And I was, I literally went to the place of like, well, what if the only buyers are my mom and my dad? You know, my brother was in college, so he wasn't going to spend his money on my book. Yeah. You know, like, like, what if that was, that was it? Like, am I going to be a failure before I even started my career? Mm -hmm. And I had all these doubts. And I, I was just, I was just wondering, like, why should I keep, why, what if I just stopped? Like, why should I keep doing this? And I'll never forget. But my dad, he was like, Jake, it doesn't matter if you sell five copies or five million copies on this book. What matters is that you're willing to put your work out to the world and be vulnerable. Because if you do that, great and unexpected things are going to happen. And I think that so often, like for me as an ambitious person, I'm always thinking about like, well, what's the result of doing the action? And I think we can get up, caught up in this. Like, what is the direct result of this action? But sometimes that action leads to a result, but the real result is three months from now. But that result doesn't come if we don't take that action. And so, you know, as a young kid at the time, I had to just trust my dad. I had to trust myself. And I was like, screw it. Like, if it doesn't happen, well, I still, I still wrote a book. Like, I'll have 100 copies and I'll roast marshmallows with them and, like, use them as napkins, whatever. You know, like <laughs> – but, but, you know, life tends to work out when we put ourselves out there and like open ourselves up to, to being real and, and sharing that with people. Yeah. Well, your dad dropped some knowledge on that one uh, and way easier said than done, but 100 percent true. And so, so often we can't let good be the enemy of great. Right. And so many people are like I haven't got it completely figured out yet, so I don't want to start. Um, right. And uh, and so that always hurts us. But it's uh it is incredible, and this is something you have proved time and time again in this conversation, obviously, in your life, is that, you know, the hallway filled with us, uh, the, excuse me, the hallway in front of us is not filled with closed doors, it's just doors we haven't opened yet, right? And uh, and so it's, it's that kind of idea of like, well, screw it, I'm going to go open the door, right? I'm going to go see what's behind this one. I'm going, I'm going in here for a while. I'm just going to take a risk. I'm just, I, you know, I don't need to stand outside the door and be like, man, God, would have been a monster, um, right? Like, it's just like, I'm, I'm going. Here we go. This is what I'm going to do. I'm put myself out there. I'm going to walk into this room. Um, or I'm, I'm a network with this person. I'm going to call this high-end agent. I'm going to call an NFL player and be like, 
give me a quote for my book. Uh, I'm going to, you know, whatever it is, right? I'm, I'm, I'm going to try to get in the league at 5'8", um, and I'm not Muggsy Bogues. Whatever, we out here. I'm the next Steve Nash. Pick me up, um, right? And so, like, it's something you've kind of proved time and time again in this conversation. And so I'm wondering – uh, and I'm wondering what's an opportunity, what's a moment where you did that and it didn't work out for you? Because obviously you've continued to do it. So whatever happened to you wasn't enough to shift your mindset. Like there's some people who experience loss, who have experienced failure, experience whatever, that will immediately shut them down the walls to go all the way back up. And they'll be like, well, that's what I get for doing that. I knew it was going to happen. And so now let me just go back to my job and insurance or whatever, right? Um, I, I'm curious for you to you to tell us a story of something that you tried and it, and it didn't work out. So, yeah, of course. And I, and I want to I ask you a question after this answer. I want to ask you about opening doors here in a sec, okay? So let's, right. let's pencil that in here for a couple minutes. One, there, there was a time where I was speaking and I had first heard of like online courses. And I was like, that's my ticket. I'm going to make, that's going to be my ticket to six figures, my ticket to seven figures. Like I might as well just start sipping the pina coladas because it looked so easy. And so I spent all this time, I built this entire course. I paid for the tech. I spent months interviewing people. I did all of this stuff. I was like, oh, this is going to work. Like, here we go. Get ready to just ching, 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 ching. I set the, set the alerts to have the sound, you know, like, <laughs> like I was ready to just start rolling in the dough. And I get ready to launch this thing and it flops. I mean, it, it freaking just sucks. The product was fine, but <laughs> few people were buying it. Everybody wanted a discount. It was just like, it was like, oh, shit. Like, did I really just spend all this time and money and energy like doing it? Like, I don't even think I broke even on the, on the, on the whole thing. Mm -hmm. And when this happened, I, I started to question. I was like, is this the time where I need to go back and get the, a regular nine to five job? Is this yeah. the time that, you know what, I should only be speaking and just stick to speaking? And the way that I look at these things is I sat with those feelings. You know, like I, I sat with them because I think it's so important that we – feel the feelings. You know, my mom's, my mom taught social work at the, U, uh, the USC school of social work. She was a clinical social worker. So like, she's always been about your feelings, you know, and I'm not a feelings guy naturally, <laughs> and, but I've learned that like, especially in those situations, when this happened, I sat with my feelings for a little bit. And I like said, like, what does this mean? Why am I feeling this way? Like, like, what is the purpose of this? Is there a bigger reason than this failure that I'm seeing right now? And I just was like, this, this sucks. Like I was so frustrated and upset and I was questioning if I should ever try that again. But then I also said, well, like, what if I'm having these feelings because now I know that this is the worst that you could possibly do by trying. And then I said, if this is the worst that I could possibly do by trying, and this is how bad it feels, could I do this again? And I was like, yeah. And the, the funny thing is, regardless if it's a positive emotion or negative emotion, you can, it gets better. <laughs> like it gets better. Like if you have the same experience twice, the second time is probably not going to be as bad. So I knew if I sucked it up on another course, it would probably be a little bit better. And I still wouldn't feel as bad. And I was like, that's still okay. Mm -hmm. And so for me, I was like, I sat with those feelings. I asked the questions. I got real with myself and I was like, all right, let's keep going. Let's try it again. Yeah. But man, did that suck? That was like a doozy. <laughs> yeah, brother. Oh yeah, that'll 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 punch your self esteem in the face real quick. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's not fun. Yeah, in uh, in sports and in, in business, you're great at putting yourself out there and taking risks. Is there a place in your life where you are not? Like, for example, like, are you the same way where it's like I'm going up to anybody at the bar and I'm asking if they want to dance or whatever, whatever it is, right? Like, are you? Is there places in your life where? where you do kind of write some stories and it's not always like, all right, here we go, baby. This is what I do. Um, yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. No, I, I, for sure. I would say sports, business, anything that involves like natural people, like just sign me up. I'm all in, I'm doing it. But the one area that, that I've, 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 I've had some issues with my confidence because I'm a very confident guy in myself is, is the dating world. And sometimes, you know, I've gone through the stories like, are they going to like me? You know, like I have, I have some gray hairs here in my 20s. Like, 
what are girls going to think? You know, I always, I've had a little bit of these insecurities growing up. You know, I had armpit hair in the sixth grade before everyone else. I shaved the mustache in seventh grade. By the time I had high school, like people thought I was a substitute teacher. Like, you know, like I had these, I had these things going on, you know, my eyebrows have always been super bushy. And a lot, and a lot of time I allowed those things to kind of tell my own story. It's like, well, are girls going to like me? You know, I feel like I'm a little bit different or I don't have that same person. I'm not as tall as those guys. Right. I think like, a lot of us, when it comes to relationships and dating, can sometimes have different types of insecurities, mm-hmm. and um, and so that's always been like like a unique situation for me. But I've done a lot of inner work on that, man. And uh, you know, as we're talking right now, I've I've been having some great success. And you know, I think that here's here's the truth. One of my greatest desires is to be a loving father and husband, just like my dad and my parents are. And I think on the flip side, my greatest fear is I'll go through life never finding my partner. And I think that it's, I'm happy as an individual. I'm happy alone, but I know that with the right partner, I'm going to be even happier. Will Smith talks about this all the time. It's like, he doesn't want, he doesn't suggest people get into a relationship so that they can be happy. You get into a relationship happy with each other, and then you become even better together. And so I think like the desire that I have to be a father and a husband I mean, my dad never missed a single basketball game from the time I was five till the last high school playoff game I ever played it. Mm-hmm. Like he set the bar so high in the most beautiful way. My mom, just the goat of all moms, you know? <laughs> and and I think like for me, like that is my biggest desire. And at the same time, because of that, it's become a, one of the probably one of my biggest fears is that I could end up alone. And I don't think I will. Like, I know I'll, be, I'll have kids and, and, and be a dad and, and be a father and a husband one day. But in my 20s, in my early 20s, that was kind of like the, the narrative. It's like, well, what if it doesn't work? Or I put too much pressure on every date that I go on. And that was difficult for me. But fortunately, I've done a lot of work. I've talked to people. I've asked questions. I've had difficult conversations in the mirror. And now I'm, I have that same tenacity and that same energy and excitement about dating as I do about everything else. And I've just trusted that even if I get rejected, I don't need to find 10 wives. Like I ain't trying to be like that type of guy. I just need to find one wife, mm-hmm. right? And all I need is one. I don't have to hit a hundred home runs to go to the hall of fame. I just need to find one. And I'm in the, I'm in the, the marriage hall of fame. You know what I'm saying? And so for me, like that's been, you know, probably the biggest area where I've, I've uh, worked on myself and really, really understood who I am and, and, and how I can be a better partner and, and how I can be better at dating and how I can you know, make sure my confidence is, is in the right place. Yeah. Brother, it's so funny how we start to look for reasons why, you know, love hasn't happened to us. And it's very quickly like, oh, it's got to be the eyebrows, probably the eyebrows, right? Oh, it's got to be the, it's got to be the height. Oh, it's got to be, for me, it was like, oh, it's got to be, you know, uh, how big of a man I am, right? You know, when no one wants to say the big guy, the big guy is the funny guy that you hang out with and you tell him about how bad your boyfriend is, um, right? And so like that is, like those are the stories that we, like we find these reasons of like, it's got to be this, so this needs to change. It's got to be this, so this needs to change. But yet it is, it's such a mindset. It's such a mindset thing, and that's really way more of what it is than the way that we look. Yes, looks matter. Let's not be idiots out here. Um, but still, um, it is such a mindset a mindset situation. And, and I love this, brother. You've now said something similar twice. Earlier you said, I don't need everyone on this journey to like me. I just need the right people to love me. And that's kind of what you just shared there, brother, which is really, you know, it's true, right? We're not out here trying to date everybody and do whatever with everybody. <clears throat> we'll have some fun along the way. Ain't no shit shame in that as long as there's consent um and so but uh the thing is is that yeah we, you know we just seem to be someone special um and yeah it is uh it is this is going to sound weird but stick with me it is also really beautiful to hear uh someone who comes off and who is as confident as you are talk about an area where it's like ah, this is actually a place where i get in my head because a lot of times when we see especially, and I'm not calling you one of these, uh, but especially when we see an alpha male, right? Like someone who, and you know, the alpha male type, the person who's, uh, you know, whatever, we know, we know the type. Uh, But whenever we see that person, like, I always want to be like, yeah, but what's the one thing? 
What's the one thing that keeps you up at night, right? You're not just falling asleep like, ha, ha, another day is the greatest. I'm going to sleep. I'm going to have the best fucking dreams, um, right? Like, it's like, you know, there's got to be, we all tell ourselves stories. Um, and so I just, I want to thank you for sharing that with us right now, um, because you are a confident man. You have you have gotten up and, and tried again, and you have succeeded, and you have been like, Screw it. I'm leaving the Lakers. I'm writing a book about career development at 23. And I'm going to figure it out. Bye. Uh, I was like, what? <laughs> um, and so uh, I really appreciate you sharing that with us, man. Man, I, and I appreciate you you saying that because, look, a couple years ago, I'm not talking about that because I think that that puts me at a disadvantage, right? Mm-hmm. Because I have that ego. I have that, like, I just got to be this dude, right, yeah. who has all these things. But what I've learned is, like, and again, I'll, I'll bring up my mom again as that social work, that feelings person is like vulnerability is that strength. And like for me, I, I hope that that me talking about that might inspire someone to say, you know what, I'm going to take that shot with that girl that I've been eyeing at, you know, in, in the cafeteria for a while or that girl who works at the desk next to me. Like, shoot your shot, brother. You know, shoot your shot because, man, you we, we got one shot at this game, man. And I've learned that, like, there's no point in hiding who we are. We are who we are. Let's share it. Let's be open about it. Let's have these conversations so that we can, I mean, that's the whole point of this conversation is we need, we need to have more deep conversations and be real. So, you know, I appreciate you sharing that because I wouldn't have said this a while ago, but I'm at a point now where I'm confident in enough. I'm real confident in myself to the point where I can share the insecurities, the vulnerabilities, because I know that that's just part of who I am and I'm working on it. I'm doing the work and that's all anybody can ask. That's all I can ask of myself. And I'm improving. I'm going on great dates and there's some great ladies. So, you know, anyone who's on there, like, you know, hit hit your boy up. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. I love it. (laughs) Shoot your shot, sis. Um, (laughs) We out here. We out here. Uh, Brother, that's awesome. You know, one thing that you're doing today as a way to, uh, again, pass out more assists, get those assists, is that you're currently helping entrepreneurs uh, with a lot of their work. And I know, I know one one area that you're particularly helping them out is in writing their book and marketing their book and et cetera, et cetera. Maybe, maybe even start with them before that, you know, book idea, I'm not sure. I'll have you, I'll have you talk about it in a second. Um, and that's, that's a really beautiful place to be where you are, you're out here helping people get to their level of greatness, right? You are, you're still, you're still the one throwing up the pass for the alley-oop. Uh, you're not necessarily the one doing it yourself. Um, and so everything in your brand is around elevate, elevate, elevate. And I know this is something you've been telling yourself a long time since you realized how tall you were going to be. Elevate, elevate. Um, but still, uh, you know, what is what is the work doing? Why elevate? And 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 what? how are you trying to elevate entrepreneurs that you work with? For sure, man. I'll say this. When it came to the height stuff growing up, I did every every trick in the book that could potentially work. You know, I hung from things. I put salt in my shoes because I read that Michael Jordan did that and then sprouted up. Like, like I had literally had salt packs in my shoes. You know, I was like, what the heck am I doing? Um, <laughs> I even wore like my undershorts from like my junior high under my high school game shorts because Michael wore his UNC shorts under his Chicago Bulls shorts. Like, I did anything I could to, to try to put an advantage, man. Um, but yeah, dude, like my focus now is like elevate is just this thing because look, I, I believe that the world has put pressure on us to achieve a certain success. Like when we think about success, naturally our minds just go towards, you know, fame, wealth, status, career, et cetera. And, and I thought a lot about this. I was like, just because you have those things doesn't necessarily make you successful. doesn't necessarily make you happy. And so I started figuring out that everybody's got their own definition of success. And my mission is to elevate you to believe in yourself enough to pursue that definition of success. Plus the word elevate. And this is like, I'm a weird dude, I guess, but like elevate, just like the letters just feel right to me. Mm-hmm. And so I just like the way they look. I like the E's, the A, I like the V. Like, <laughs> I don't know why. I, maybe it's just like, I'm, I'm supposed to receive that word better. I, I, maybe it's just because I've said it a million times in my life. Like, I don't know, but I, but I genuinely love that. And I genuinely believe that no matter what the insecurities you have, no matter what the confidence you have, no matter what the tenacity, the audacity, the, the extroversion, the introversion that we have, we all want something in our life. And we all have that gut feeling that tells us what it is. It's just a matter of, are we willing to go after it? Mm-hmm. And so I help, I really help entrepreneurs specifically 
build online coaching businesses and, and make the transition so they can have more freedom, time, financial and location. And I hope the same type of entrepreneurs write and launch their best-selling book because everyone's got this message and I want people to share it and be able to, to get it viral and, and to really just help people, you know, live, live that dream that they know they're destined for. Beautiful brother. That's beautiful. Now, one of the biggest things that happens along that journey is kind of like what we were talking about a moment ago is we start writing stories in our head, right? And we and you talk about this also. You said it beautifully. I agree the same thing when I wrote my book. Pretty much the consistent thought was, anybody reading this shit? <laughs> um, and so, but it's like, but you just, you know, you just kind of keep writing. You're like, well, I got to fit. I got, I'm three, I'm three quarters of the way through now. And I'm going to stop now. Um, and so you just, and at some point it was, for me, it was also telling people that I was writing a book because I could let myself down, but I couldn't let other people down. Um, and so whatever it is, we got to do to achieve success out here. And so, uh, but you know, a lot of, a lot of people who are thinking about entrepreneurship or entrepreneurs that are thinking about ways to diversify their offerings or tell their story in a book or, or whatnot, right? Like there's so many places for us to write stories in our head about why we shouldn't do it. How are you helping people to get around and rewrite some of those stories? Well, like I, like I said before, you know, we, we all have these. We all have these limiting beliefs, the doubts, the fears, the insecurities, whatnots, right? But what I try to encourage people do, to do is to see that, to acknowledge that it exists rather than hide behind it, but acknowledge that it exists and have a conversation with yourself about what would it mean to act because of this rather than to not act and hide from it. And that's one of the main things that we work on. And I work a ton with the different mindset. And we talk about becoming the champion of your own life and all these amazing things because everything that I can do, I tie back to sports. Like, why not? It's, it's universal. Yep. And, you know, people really resonate that with, with that. And then the second part of that is when these fears come up, is like, well, why are you doing what you're doing? What, what is that definition of success that you've decided is worth pursuing? Because when you have that reason and that drive for something greater than the fear, action will always ensue. And so we try to really add that clarity. We try to work on that. We, we talk about overcoming those things. Um, but those are some of the things, man, that, that I try to put in place for myself and for others when it, when it happens because it's inevitable. Yeah. You're not going to be the only person in the world that doesn't have these fears or these doubts. Mm -hmm. It's just a matter of are you going to tap into them to be honest with yourself, to acknowledge that, and then to act because of that. Yes. Yes, 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 brother. You use a lot of basketball analogies, with that, which I appreciate. I use a bunch as well. Uh, and uh, I also use a lot of, of golf analogies, and uh, it's a, a sport that I enjoy. And I was asked recently by my wife, she said, what part, what percentage of golf is mental and what percentage of golf is physical? And she asked my dad, who's an avid, who plays four or five times a week. And she asked my dad this question. He said, probably 90, 10, 90 mental, 10 physical. And I think that same ratio, for the most part, applies to entrepreneurship, right? Like it is about mindset, it is about how can we rewrite those stories? How can we trust what we are doing? How can we get in the right space to move forward? How can we allow um, how can we allow uh, tenacity and trust in who we are outweigh the fears, right? Like so much of it, it's not just about your ability to balance a spreadsheet or you don't need an MBA from Harvard to start a business, right? Uh, and so I love that you are helping people do that work. That's amazing, man. Yeah, I mean, what, what's your golf handicap? While, while we're Listen, talking about wow, golf, wow, okay, I know we're, I know we're getting personal. Here. We're getting personal out here. Jeez, my God, uh, <laughs> uh, I am a. Uh, I always need to preface this because I used to be really good in high school. I was like a six handicap back then. I'm now probably fluctuating between a twelve or a fourteen. I mean, that's that's great. I mean, you're you're winning most against people that are are infrequent players. <laughs> So yeah, <clears throat> so that that's where we're at, man. That's where we're at. That's Jake, I, yeah, golf, golf is not my sport. That's okay. Everybody's got their thing. Our boy Stu is trying to learn the game. I know that. 
<laughs> well, my brother, I cannot thank you enough for coming and hanging out, dude. It means the world that you want to pop into the diner. Do me a favor, Jake. Let people know where where can they find you on, on the internet? And if they want to check out your new book, The Elevated Entrepreneur, where is that available? The best place to connect with me right now is on Instagram. It's where I'm hanging out the most. It's at Jake Kelfer. Slide on in those DMs. Let's have some conversations. Let's take the diner talks to the DMs and uh, let's have some fun. You can get a copy, a free copy of The Elevated Entrepreneur uh, in, my, in the link in my bio. Love it, brother. Jake, thanks so much for sliding in the booth with me here, my guy. It means I a lot. I appreciate you, man. Thanks for having me. This was a blast. Hell yeah, hell yeah. Y'all, that was my time with the one and only Jake Kelfer. What an incredible entrepreneur. I just, I love hearing the stories about how you just keep pushing, trusting your ideas, trusting who you are. That's a confidence that ebbs and flows with me. If my if my Facebook status with the confident was ever published, it would be, it's complicated. Uh, and so it's always inspiring to hang out with another human who is confident. It just, it is something that's contagious. And I love what Jake said. I think it's something that we can think about. Uh, this quote that he shared earlier where he said, if I could go through life with more assists than turnovers, I'm going to be all right. But I love that, y'all. What's an assist that you gave recently? What's an assist that you can give? How are we helping the people grow around us so that we all flourish? My, uh, my friends, I'm so excited to spend this time with you. Thank you so much. Until the next time we kick it, do me a favor and keep punching small talk in the face by asking better questions. You all take care. Thank you so much for tuning into this episode of Diner Talks with James. It was so much fun getting to hang out with you and finish our milkshakes in that squeaky red leather booth. <laughs> if you could do me a favor and smash that subscribe button, that would be dope. And also, if you could leave a review on iTunes, well, come on now. You're going to make me blush. <laughs> also, if you want to be a part of the action, we record these live on YouTube Live every Wednesday night at 9 o'clock p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Go to YouTube and type in James T. Robo and smash that red subscribe button so you know when we go live next. Also, while we're on the subject, I'm James T. Robo all over the internet. I post meaningful content on Instagram, witty content on Twitter. Let's get connected in some other places, folks. And as always, if you're interested in learning more about the guest tonight, please check out the show notes. My friends, until next time, keep punching small talk in the face by asking better questions. Y'all take care.